0: The following audio is for Emanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemanuel.net. Good to be back with you this morning. We're going to continue our studying the book of Acts, and I invite you to join me in Acts chapter 9. There's some Bibles in the racks in front of you. If you'd like to use those, you'll see the scriptures as they come up on the screen. Last fall, uh, we met together. We actually had a a service where we had all uh, three, the 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock Sunday morning services all together. We called it All Together in One Place. And at that time, I preached to you from Acts chapter 2, and we talked about a vision for our church that we called Vision Three Thousand because at the end of Acts chapter two, three thousand people got saved, and so we just used that number as a as a result of the goals that we wanted. And I want to remind you what that vision is. Uh, the, the first part is that we would plant another church, and this morning, Grace Point launches, uh, and uh, we believe that the two of us. Uh, as as autonomous, separate, yet cooperating, partnering churches will actually effectively reach more people for Christ than one church can do. And so uh, we continue to pray for them and that work. The second part of Vision 3000 was that we were going to work with the small, struggling churches around us uh, in, a, in a greater capacity, and we've dedicated uh, a person on our staff, Steve Fowler, to do that. In fact, Steve's now the uh, interim pastor at Blue Creek Church because their pastors left, but that church baptized six people on Easter Sunday, and so uh, absolutely, and so uh, this is beginning to, to get traction, and, and we're making ground there rapidly, and we're, we're excited about that. And then there was the third part of Vision 3000. And the third part was called Each One Reach One. And I challenged you to begin to pray about having a one in your life that you would focus on uh, and and pray for and connect with and and begin to ask God if he would lead that one to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I I know that uh, if you're here and you're a believer and you have loved ones in your life who are not believers, uh, I know that you have more than one. You have family members, you have good friends, you have people that you work with. But the concept of each one reach one is, is a little bit like if you've ever gone bird hunting. If you've ever gone bird hunting, uh, the first time you go, the idea is that all the birds flush or all the ducks come in and you just, there's so many birds in the sky, you just point your shotgun and you think, I'll I'll get three or four or five. And you squeeze the trigger and and you get none because you didn't aim at one of them. And hunters begin to realize pretty quick, if, if you want to get one, you've got to aim at one. And so that's really the concept here. It's not that you don't have 10 or a dozen people in your life that you want to see come to Jesus. But if, if you're just shotgunning your life, you, you might never see that happen. You need to begin to focus on one that you can immerse yourself with. Well, Acts chapter 9 provides for us a template on how that happens. It it kind of gives us a blueprint on how that happens, and it tells us the story of how one came to Christ. In this particular one, his name was Saul. Later his name would be changed, and you know him as the Apostle Paul. But Acts chapter 9 is how the Apostle Paul comes to faith in Christ. But there's more to it than that. This morning I want you to see with new eyes how your one will come to Christ. Begin reading with me. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, But Saul, this is his old name, he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he was indeed a murderer. He was there giving uh, the lead to the stoning of of Stephen, who would become the very first martyr of all the church, and so he was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest. Verse two says that he asked him for letters, that is, for the authority, to go to the synagogues at Damascus, which is a city that's not even in Israel, it's in Syria, still there to this day, so that he could if he found any who were belonging to the way. Now the the phrase the way That's what Christians were called before we were called Christians. We were called the way, and this meant that we believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And so he asked the chief priest for letters to go to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, when he was on his way, and as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed Around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice, and the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, I'm the one you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city. And you'll be told what to do. And the men who were traveling with him, they, they stood speechless hearing the voice, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. The bright light blinded him, is what happened. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate n- nor drank. So here's the first thing that I want you to see in this blueprint I, I want you to consider the circumstances of your one. Uh, Your one that God has placed on your heart who desperately needs the Lord. I I want you to think about what it's like to be that one. And the first thing that I want to tell you is that your one doesn't know the Lord. Now, this, this might seem like it could go without saying, but there are many believers who don't have a one because they just kind of think, well, we're all going to end up in heaven in the end we all kind of go in the same direction, and you believe this, and I believe this, and you you believe what works for you, and I'll believe what works for me. And sometimes Christians start to believe that as well. But but the scriptures clearly teach an eternity. That clearly teaches a heaven and a hell. And it clearly teaches that there's a dividing point. And the dividing point is those who know Jesus. That's the dividing point. There, there's no other dividing point. It's simply your relationship with Jesus. And the Bible calls it knowing him. Uh, I, I told you this morning that uh, last week, uh, Patrice and I went to Washington, D.C. And when I arrived in town, I did not get a text from President Trump. I, there was no, there was I checked my email too. Uh, there was no invitation to the Oval Office or the White House. There was nothing that said, hey, Paul, you're in town for a couple of days. Let's play a round of golf. Nothing. I got nothing. Now, listen to me carefully. I, I know who President Trump is. I read about him almost every day, something, see, see him on TV. If I, if I saw him, I would recognize him. I, I know about him, but I don't know him, and he doesn't know me. There's a really interesting verse in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus is talking about judgment day. And he says, many will come to me on that that day, that that judgment day. And they will say, Lord, didn't didn't we do many wonderful things in your name? And Jesus says, I will say to them, depart from me because I never knew you. See, salvation is when you enter into a Personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there was a there was a day and a time when uh, Patrice and I stood before the preacher, happened to be my dad, and and we said I do to one another. There there has to be a there has to be a time and a place when you give your life away, and the, and the Bible calls that salvation, and that's what it means to know Jesus in a in a personal way so first of all we have to realize that our, our ones the, the one that God's placed on our heart the burden that we have for somebody they, they, don't, they don't know the Lord and, and there's, a, there's a truth there's a twin truth that goes with that and the second truth is this your one doesn't get you the Bible says that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, neither can he know them, because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. You've got to have a Holy Spirit in you before you can understand spiritual things. And so your one not only doesn't know the Lord, he doesn't really get you either. And And, and it's because we belong to the Lord. It's because we were once in darkness and now we're in light, and we don't do the deeds of darkness. And those who live in darkness, they don't get us. They don't, they don't get why you and I would take a perfectly good Sunday and do this. They don't get that. It's why when you invite them to church, they're like, I don't think so. Because they don't get this. So since they don't get the gospel, and the gospel is already its own barrier, here's what I want to say to you. Don't create even other barriers for them. The Listen carefully what I'm saying. They don't need your politics. They don't need all of your other ideas. They need Jesus. That's what they need first. Sometimes what we do is we try to get our one cleaned up before they actually are saved. And that doesn't work. Peter tells a story about a pig. And if you take a pig and you wash him all up and you clean him all up so the 4-H judges can, can say he's a great pig, but if you turn your back on a little bit, what will the pig do? He will go and try to wash off all that soap that you put on him in the mud. You can't clean a person up enough that then they're acceptable to Jesus. Jesus loves us just like we are. He saves us just as we are. And so don't put any other barriers in the way. Just point them to Jesus because they're, they're not going to get all the other stuff until they get Jesus there's a third thing about your one that I want you to understand your one is on their way to Damascus the Bible tells us three times. Paul was going to Damascus. He got authority to go to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus when the bright light uh, uh, knocked him down off the horse. And, and finally he would get... So what does Damascus represent in this story? Well, your one has something in their life that they think is going to make their life great. They're, they're on their way to that thing which they think is going to be really good for them. It's the goal that they want to accomplish. And, and, and so their Damascus is, is football or it's hunting or it's sports or it's golf. Their Damascus is, is, uh, uh, th- their kids or, or a relationship or more money or, a, or a new car. And so everybody in the world has a Damascus. They're they're going to Damascus like, when I get there, this is going to give me the peace that passes all understanding. This is going to give me joy. This is going to give me fulfillment. This is going to give me satisfaction. This is going to give me the happiness that I long for. And what you and I know is, there is no Damascus. It's all smoke and mirrors. Many, Many of you actually got your Damascus. And when you got there, There wasn't any peace. There wasn't any joy. There wasn't any fulfillment. There wasn't any happiness. And life was just worse. And in fact, that leads us to the fourth principle. The fourth principle is that God is working to get the attention of your one. And because we don't always turn our attention to Christ when he gives us health and wealth and prosperity... He more likely is to get your attention when your life gets hard. Uh, it's really interesting. The Apostle Paul tells his own story a couple places in Scripture. And so we ha- we have it as it happened here in Acts chapter 9. But then later in the book of Acts, he tells his story of how he came to Christ, how he gave his life to Christ. And in Acts chapter 26, when he tells the story, he gives a fuller version. This is kind of a, this is an abbreviated version. This is the Reader's Digest version. In, in Acts chapter 26, verse 14, after Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, there he tells us that Jesus also said to him, Don't you find it hard to kick against the goads? Do you know what we can understand from that sentence? That God had been trying to get Saul's attention for a long time, and his life was getting harder and harder and harder. Instead of turning to Christ, he turned away from it, and he was kicking against it. He was rebelling against it. He he didn't want God, and his life was getting worse and worse and harder and harder. Now, Now, listen to what I'm about to say. If your one, if your one's life is getting worse and worse and harder and harder, that's a good sign for you. Because that tells you God is at work in their life, and that's the moment where people frequently, like Saul, turn to Christ. I've had people that I try to share my faith with. They didn't have any time for me. But then later, they come to me and go, hey, can I talk to you a second? I go, yeah, what's going on? Oh, the old lady, she left me. And I know I should be happy to lose the ball and chain, but, man, nobody fried an egg like her. She was great. You know. And I, wh- wh- what can I do to get her back? Sometimes they come to me and go, I lost another job. What? You lost another job? Isn't it like, like the fifth job you lost this year? Yeah, it's hard to find good bosses these days. Oh, man. How are you going to pay your bills? I don't know. Uh, Hey, pastor, can I talk to you a second? What's what's, what's up? Uh, My kid's in jail. What happened? Uh, I did this. And what I discovered is when life gets hard and the vice starts to squeeze, all of a sudden people who didn't have any time for God before, all of a sudden turn their attention to God. Who squeezes the vice? The vice of life, who squeezes that? God does. Why? Why? Because God loves your one more than you do. If if you have a one that's been placed on your heart, God put that that there so that you could be a part of him reaching them as he's always wanted to do. Let me tell you something about your one. If your one was the only one who ever sinned, God would have sent his son Jesus to die for them. That's how much he loves them. And so he's at work in their lives. Well, this story continues. When we read this story, a lot of people go, well, this story is all about the Apostle Paul. It's about a salvation. It's actually about two guys. The Apostle Paul is one of the guys, but a guy named Ananias is the other one. And and so Ananias represents the believer. So what does your one need from you, the believer, for their salvation? We continue reading Verse ten Now there was a disciple in Damascus whose name was Ananias. The Lord said to, to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias said, Here am I. Notice notice it's a completely different conversation. When the Lord appeared to Saul, Saul had to say, Who are, who are you, Lord? not Ananias. Ananias talks with the Lord all the time. This is a conversation that a believer has with God because he talks with God all the time. He says, "Here I am." And the Lord says, "Here's what I want you to do." Verse 11. Rise and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man named Tarsus, named uh, a man of Tarsus named Saul. Behold, he's praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he could regain his sight. Now, Ananias and the Lord are having a conversation, right? That's what prayer is. Prayer is nothing but a conversation. So Ananias says to the Lord, Lord, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, I've actually heard a lot about this guy. And he's done a lot of evil. He's done these to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. That's why he's come here. Now, of course, the Lord knew that. So the Lord tells Ananias, "Go for he 's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how much he has to suffer for my namesake. So Ananias departed, and he entered the house, and he laid his hands on him so so here 's some things I want you to see, not about Paul but about Ananias. What is it that that God wants you to do? What is it that you 're one?" is looking for from you. What is it that they need from you? Number one, your one is looking for you whether they know it or not. Here the apostle Paul didn't know what would happen and God revealed to him that someone would come to him named, named Ananias. He revealed it in a vision. And God puts in every person's heart. Every soul has a has a divine element to it. We're made in the image of God. It didn't evolve from a, from a uh, an amoeba to a, to a frog to something else to a person. You're, you're made in the image of God. And, and so part of that is that your soul has a divine element to it. And that, that part of your soul has, has been broken by sin. And, and it can't be fixed by drugs or alcohol or sex or, or money or fame or fortune. It, it, can o- it can only be fixed by God. And, and that part is in every single person on the planet And they're looking for someone to tell them how to fill that hole, that vacancy, that emptiness that they have in their heart. Nothing on this earth can give them the peace that passes all understanding. Only Jesus can do that. Nothing can fill your heart with joy and contentment. Only Jesus can do that. Nothing can satisfy that. Only Jesus. And they're looking for that. Even if they don't know it, even if they pretend they're not looking for it, they have it in their heart and soul, and they know that it's an empty place, and they're looking for you, whether they know they're looking for you or not. There's a second thing I, I want to tell you about this relationship with your one. Your one may not be the person that you would normally choose to hang out with. Uh it's interesting Ananias says to the Lord, "Uh whew, wow, Lord, ah, ah, you know, uh I actually know all about this guy. Um I know I know what he did in Jerusalem. But Remember, he's a part of the murder of Stephen. This is not just like a this is not like a bad neighbor who built his fence 1 foot onto your property line. This Paul's a murderer. And he's like, "Uh whew, wow, I you know, I've heard about this guy. This is not a guy that I really want to watch the game with this afternoon. It's not a guy that I would normally choose to hang out with. And it's really interesting. God really doesn't rebuke Ananias for saying that. Do you notice that? It? It's, a, it's, a, it's a conversation. Ananias and God. This is an, Ananias knows God. God knows Ananias. It's, a, it is a, it's an intimacy of the conversation. And he goes, Lord, this is who this guy is. And the Lord goes, yeah, I know. But all of that's about to change because I've saved him, and I'm sending you to him, and I need you to go and hang out with him. And so you need to be aware of that. Now, maybe your one is your best friend. Maybe your one is a family member, and you love to hang out with them, but you need to be aware of the fact that God may put someone on your heart that is not your kind of gal. He's not your kind of guy, And, and you need to be aware of that. There's a third thing that we see here about Ananias and what, and what God's doing in his life. And that is, your one needs your obedience to the master. So it's a very, it's a very interesting conversation. He says, uh, he says to uh, Ananias in verse 11, rise and go. Ananias goes, man, Lord, I don't know if you've heard about this guy. The Lord says, yeah, I know who he is. Verse, verse uh, 15, Go. And then verse 17, so Ananias went. He departed. And here's what I want to say to you. And I, I, I want you, if you've if you got spiritual attention deficit syndrome and you, this is all you can handle, then get this before you fuzz out, okay? God's not asking you to be Billy Graham. He's not asking you to be the, the greatest gospel presenter ever on the planet. He's not asking you to be Louis Palau or one of the great evangelists of the world. Do you know what God wants from you? Your obedience. That's what he wants from you. Not your talents, not your abilities. The only ability he wants from you is your availability. He just wants you to be obedient i I, I want to tell you early in my life as I began to figure this out and and I could feel God prompting in my heart and i I knew that I should share my faith what I would discover i'd I'd be so nervous i i I'd be so nervous and my my voice would kind of go up an octave or so and get squeaky and and my mouth would, would just go dry wouldn't wouldn't one bit of spit in it and then and then incredibly the spit would come out the palms of my hands and my hands would get sweaty. My voice was like this and sometimes I i just kind of sputtered and blundered through the gospel and people gave their lives to Christ. How does that happen? Because you don't save people. This, is, this isn't me telling you the method about how you can sell more used cars. That is not what this is. This is this is you sharing the the most incredible thing in the universe. And the reason you feel that, by the way, is because you know that there is an eternity. There's a heaven and there's a hell, and Satan hates it, there's a spiritual battle there. But as you're obedient to that, God will bless that, and you'll get more and more comfortable with that. And what you'll discover in that is that whenever God prompts your heart to share, He's prepared the other heart to hear it. He's at work on both sides. You just, feel, you just feel the part that's in you. But he's at work on both sides. God wants your obedience. Well, when the day comes that your one receives the Lord, I hope that you'll tell me. I, I want to rejoice with you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen uh, with, with dozens in our congregation, and I, and I pray hundreds. It's going to happen as as we pray and as we immerse ourselves in their lives and as we point them to Jesus and as their lives get harder and God's pulling them to themselves, they're, they're going to be saved and we're going to rejoice in that day. But when that day happens, you're not done. In fact, I want you to consider what your one needs from you for discipleship. The Great Commission is that we go and make disciples. Now, one part of that is when you give your life to Christ. But that's not the end of it. We don't don't lead people to the Lord and then we go, good luck, see you in heaven. No, we we grow them up in Christ. We disciple them is the word that we use. So what do we see in Ananias' life here in terms of discipleship? Well, verse 17, so Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on Saul, he said to him, brother Saul, by the way, do you see the change? He's no longer Saul the bad guy, the murderer, now he's the brother. He's been saved. He's in the kingdom. He's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off of his eyes, and he and he regained his sight. And then he rose and he was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus. So let's talk about discipleship just a little bit. When your one comes to Christ, that's not the end of it. That's the beginning. So what does your one need from you? Well, your one has been spiritually blind for a long time and needs you to restore their sight. Uh, people without Christ, the Bible talks about them as being blind, as being in darkness, as being unable, to, in, in, unable to see the truth. And so they receive Christ, but they still see the world through a broken paradigm, through a through a broken uh, lenses. You ever, you ever, uh, those of you who wear glasses, you ever crack your glasses and the lens cracked, but you don't have any other glasses, and so you wear them, and then you're always looking at people like this. Well, people who don't have Christ are looking at the world, and they're broken. So they need someone to help them see things as they really are. And it's the Word of God that does that. The Word of God is what restores our sight. So they need you to help them see. Secondly, you'll notice in this passage, your one needs to know what it is like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, understand this. The filling of the Holy Spirit, the the word just means controlled by the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit can happen to every single believer on the planet, even someone who just got saved five minutes ago. You don't have to go to Bible college for a year, and then you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is me being obedient to Christ. So Jesus tells me what to do, and I do it. And when I'm obedient, when I'm submissive to him, when I'm no longer the boss of my own life, and I trust him, then I am controlled by the Holy Spirit. So Saul's never been controlled by the Holy Spirit. He's been controlled by his flesh. He's been controlled by his temptation. He's been controlled by his pride. He's been controlled by his goal to get to Damascus, but he's never been controlled by the Holy Spirit. So, Ananias is now going to teach him this is what it's like. You submit your life to the Lord. This, by the way, the Christian life is really easy. Jesus tells us what to do, and we do it. it God's not asking for your opinions. And that, that's most of your problem. You think everybody wants your opinions. Opinions are like armpits, everybody has a couple, and most of them stink. God's word is truth. We believe that. We, We take it into our lives, and then we submit to it, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, your one needs to publicly profess their faith in Christ. The Scripture says, if you'll profess me before men, I'll profess you before my Father. And we see it twice here. In verse 20, it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus. But don't miss it earlier in verse 18, when it says, he then rose and was baptized baptism is the first public profession of our faith in Christ Jesus. Baptism is a picture. Now, baptism doesn't save you. You give your life to Christ. That's what saves you. But baptism is a picture. You stand in the water, and the water comes across you, and that's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of death. And then you go underneath the water, and that's a picture of burial, And then Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back to life. We just celebrated that Easter. And coming up out of the water is a picture of resurrection, death and burial and resurrection. The picture proclaims, this is what I trust in. This is what I believe in. I've given my life to Christ. And the scripture says we are to make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so this is what your one needs to do. Now, I guess I need to say this, and I want you to understand, I say this completely out of love. But if your one needs to do that when they receive the Lord, wouldn't that be pretty hypocritical of you to tell your one that they need to do that when you haven't done that? Some of you in this room, I'm just telling you this because I love you, you've given your life to Christ, but you're kind of being stubborn about baptism. You're refusing to be baptized, and you were christened maybe as a child, and so you're kind of like, well, I think God's good with that. No. Biblical baptism is after you have willfully given your life to Christ, you make that decision for yourself. The christening as as a baby, somebody makes that decision for you. That's a dedication and hope that you'll, you'll, you'll meet Christ one day, but Baptism, Biblical baptism is after you've given your life to Christ. You publicly profess that to anybody who watches. And it's the perfect time to invite people, your ones, to the Lord. Say, hey, I'm going to be baptized Sunday. I want you to come and see me. And then they'll they'll see that and they'll start to ask you, what does that mean? You say, that means I'm a follower of Christ. So many of you, that's the next step that you need to make. That's the step every disciple needs to make. And then there's a last step here. Your one needs spiritual food to be strengthened in the faith. It says in verse 19, "And taking food, he was strengthened. Now, I know with the Apostle Paul, it's actual, literal food. He, He hadn't eaten for three days. But symbolically, what that means there is that we need the bread of life, which is the word of God, in our lives to grow. And, and, there's, and, the, and the Bible does this metaphor all the time. It, it teaches us that the word of God is like food. Now, many of you in this room, maybe most of you in this room, eat 21 meals a week. Breakfast, dinner, uh, supper, uh, seven days a week. Now, some, of you, I, some of you eat 28, 29, 30 meals a week. Some of you only eat 14 meals a week. But even 14 meals a week, I'm asking you, Do you turn to God's word 14 times a week? Twice a day? Morning and evening maybe? Do you even turn to God's word seven days a week? If all of God's word that you get each week is here with me, then what you're trying to do is you're trying to get 21 meals of nutrition. Imagine imagine you and I eating right now And then you're not going to eat until next Sunday at this time. How do you think that's going to work for you? Are you going to have the strength on Friday and Saturday that you need to have? No, you won't. And this is simply the paradigm that tells us man doesn't live by food alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so your one needs you to engage them in studying God's word. Last fall, when I challenged you, Vision 3000, each one reach one. When I said, let's, let's make this our goal as the, as the people of Emmanuel, the family, the spiritual family of Emmanuel, to each one reach one. I also told you this statistic. I don't know if you remember. Right now in uh, Southern Baptist Life, which is one of the best denominations in the world, uh, our statistic is it takes 56 believers an entire year to reach one person for Christ. It's one of the worst statistics in the Christendom. In fact, it's been getting worse and worse and worse every year. The best number ever was like 1954, and it was like 9 to 1. It took nine believers a year to reach one person for Christ. But what would happen if each one reached one? What would, what would that look like? It, it, it would be more profound than the day of Pentecost. It would be such a change. And I know that God wants your obedience. He's placed placed somebody on your heart, I know it. Somebody who needs Jesus. And he's just asking for your obedience that you would begin to immerse immerse yourself in their lives to point them to Christ and reach that one. Well, uh, in Galatians chapter one is the rest of the story. The Apostle Paul writes much of the New Testament. But in Galatians chapter 1, he's talking about when he gave his life to the Lord. And this is is how he ends it. He says, uh, this is what everybody knew about me. This was my testimony. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You know what's the most incredible thing? Um, God isn't just doing one thing. He wants to save your one. He definitely wants to do that. But He also wants to work with you. And He wants to work through our whole church. And He wants us to start churches like Grace Point. And He wants us to help other churches. He's doing the whole thing. And so the whole thing together is not for your glory, it's not for my glory. It's all for the glory of God. And it's an incredible place to live to bask in the spirit of the living God when he moves in our lives. And when he moves and your one, gives their life to the Lord, come and tell me and I will rejoice with you and we will glorify the Lord. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.